Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Lion Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. You're listening to Too Much to Text on Full Service Radio, live from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C. I'm Bhakti Seigel, your host. Life gets richer as you live it, and often it forces us to overcome, to recalibrate, and reinvent ourselves. How that happens is the premise of this show. On Too Much to Text, we share stories of growth, personal evolution, and resilience that are often just too much to text of people and the ways in which they have done the hard work of coming into their own. Each of us are on our own journey, growing personally, professionally, or otherwise every day. Much of that happens for me in this city daily. And like many, I came to DC to make a difference and to live a life guided by the principles of service and impact. I attended graduate school here and have been working in public policy, specifically public health for a number of years. I'm also a human-centered designer with my own consulting practice. While I love what I do, making an impact while also staying true to values that I hold dear requires constant navigation and tweaking. In this show, I want to give you, our listeners, an opportunity to look around you for inspiration and to listen to stories of people in their own words who are continually defining and living their purpose. Today, I'll be talking with Lena Blunt. She comes to us from Philadelphia and works in environmental and economic justice, event management, and action planning. I'm honored to have her here and stoked that she came all the way down uh, to spend some time with us talking about all things related to change making and internal and external work that takes place in order for that to happen. Full disclosure, Lena and I have known each other for over 10 years. I'm always humbled by our friendship and the friendship of those in our circle. She is someone that I've leaned on as I have navigated my own journey, and I always endeavor to be that support to her in return. She is a strong woman. She is unafraid to chart her own path, and she accepts nothing less than integrity in all that she does. Lena, it is wonderful to be in conversation with you today, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Um, Gosh, you almost brought a tear to my eye. I was like... (laughs) Really honored by the introduction. Um, really, really grateful to be here. Um, excited about this project um, and happy to dive in. Yeah. Um, I would love for you to introduce yourself and just tell us about your path thus far. Sure. Um, yeah. So I have been really um, interested in questions of how change happens um, from. I, I want to say a young age, but that's not actually honest. <laughs> I think, I think um, you know, I went to a large public school. I was mostly really concerned with, like, getting good grades and, and going to college. And um, my first sense of, like, the world being a little bit different than um, maybe what it was framed up to be was um, around, in my high school, who was assumed was going to college and who was going straight into the military and who was going to community college and who was going straight into work. And I remember having this like realization of like, 
oh, not, not everyone has the same path. And it's actually not always attached to how hard they're working. Right. And, and that sort of like very early sense of my own class background, the fact that it was assumed by my parents I was going to go to college and that they encouraged me to apply wherever I wanted to go. And like, you know, the question of paying for college was not um, at the forefront of our decision making for where I was looking as it was for many of my friends. Like, um, so just to say that is like, a start on a journey that I've been on now for a while. Um, I uh, have worked in environmental policy. Um, I have um, really been drawn into, in particular, um, nonviolent direct action campaigns um, that challenge corporate power um, and challenge, um, you know, some of these practices that um, influence the system that we're in, um, those who are profiting off of sort of harmful practices or practices that have an outcome that we don't want anymore, whether that be climate change, inequality. And when I say anymore, I mean, obviously, people have been fighting these things for decades and decades and decades. Um, but I've been on a journey of a lot of learning about how that change actually comes to be and um, you know, have worked in policy, have worked um, in nonviolent direct action campaigning now for a couple of years in the Philadelphia area, and um, I'm excited to share more about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a lot there. I know. Um, I, I was even getting lost myself in which directions I could start to go, but yeah, rein myself yeah, in. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, no need. <laughs> we will you know, hopefully in our time together, be able to touch on a lot of those, mm. those things. Um, so, you know, going back to what you were saying about your work, especially as it relates to nonviolent direction, direct action, mm -hmm. and, you know, basically trying to create the society and the world that we want to live in. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's kind of what it comes down to. Right. Um, and we find ourselves, I think now, especially, um, mm -hmm. in a time where it's even more important to advocate for, for the mm -hmm. society that we, we want to have. And so um, can you talk a little bit about social change theory? Um, mm -hmm. I'm just thinking from a person, a lay person's perspective and folks that aren't intimately involved um, in planning and, you know, thinking about how to make change. Maybe those who don't have that sense of historical mm. uh, knowledge on, you know, why things happen the way they do. If you mm. could give us a bit of a high level outline. Sure. Um, and this is just to say, you know, I didn't step into this work knowing all of this from the jump. Um, a lot of this is stuff that I have learned from movement elders um, and other folks over time. And um, one of the concepts that really fundamentally changed how I thought about, about change, about social movements, um, comes from the work of a sociologist, um, Bill Moyer. And he has this theory called the four roles of social action. And I was actually introduced to it um, by this group in Philadelphia um, called Training for Change. And they take Bill Moyer's four roles and they have sort of different names for them that really highlight the differences between the four roles and how they relate to each other because it's a dynamic relationship. And so um, this, this theory of social change is that there's basically for any successful social movement, there are these four key roles that have to happen. Um, and those roles, as, as named by Training for Change, are the, the helper, the advocate, 
the rebel and um, and the organizer. Um, the helper is sort of that the direct service. Um, some you know we might think of this often as like the soup kitchen or the public health worker, folks who are folks who are meeting a need that is real and necessary right now and are often sort of on the front, front line of interaction and relationship and community, um, have a very clear sense of some of the lived experience and problems right now. That's the helper role. The, um, the organizer role is really about mobilizing masses of people. So sort of the classical example, um, when we might think of an organizer role is like, um, a church congregation that does things together or, um, you know, traditionally a labor union recruiting lots of members to fight for change together. So the organizer is sort of distinguished by like this tactic of bringing together lots of people. The advocate role, um, I think mm-hmm. those listeners in DC may be most familiar with. Um, yes. It's very much the going through the existing channels of policymaking um, to advocate for specific policies or specific changes. And then there's the fourth role, the rebel role, which is sort of outside the traditional channels of change making, um, but is all about exerting pressure on those channels and on those systems to shift what's seen as politically possible. And so um, Bill Moyer and a number of people have argued now for a while that there's this dynamic relationship between these four roles. They serve different purposes, but they achieve more together. Um, One of my favorite examples of this, um, which I'm actually borrowing from um, the work of Mark, uh, Mark and Paul Engler, their book, This is an Uprising, kind of talks about how do we how do we merge together uh, mass movement building and um, um, sort of shifting that political weather. And they, they build on the work of Francis Scott Piven and many others. But um, um, they talk about this example of the minimum wage. Hmm. And when it was going just through the advocacy channels, when only the advocates were working on minimum wage, you know, back in the early 2000s, you have people in the halls of Congress really fighting it out, arguing it out over raising it, you know, a couple nickels and dimes. You know, we're going to go from, I think at the time, and I might not be right, it was about 650 to 725 for the sure. federal minimum wage. So a, a, a relatively modest change, but an increase. And they were really fighting it out and really getting stuck, and it wasn't a sort of mainstream position. And then in the subsequent years, you see this flurry of activity of um, all four of the roles working together, where or not necessarily together, but working around the same theme, sure. creating this dynamic landscape where suddenly you have a breakthrough in the political um, arena, and you have this shift in what's seen as possible, and suddenly you know, a $15 minimum wage is a national conversation and is being won in specific places. And you see that that was won because of the helpers who were on the ground talking about what was impacting people, talking about how people were hurting. Um, you had the organizers like the Fight for 15 and and Labor, you know, really mobilizing and putting this forward. You have the, um, the rebels in the Occupy movement, like suddenly building this energy behind, you know, conversations around inequality in a really, really 
um, stark way. And then, and then the advocates sort of who had the relationships in these um, halls of power were able to step into that political moment in a way that like the other roles weren't able to particularly as well individually so that dynamic relationship if I'm going to like evangelize about anything on this conversation today that piece of like there are these four roles that can get more together through the dynamic relationship between them that was something I was lucky to be introduced to fairly early in my work and it was so helpful to me personally Um, I was a very kind of angry naturally rebellious person (laughs) deeply frustrated with the limits of the system and like the avenues of change that were sort of put in front of me um and so I was I was somewhat self-righteous and it was a huge gift to be introduced to this idea that these four roles are necessary they have a dynamic relationship between each other and maybe we should not spend all of our time arguing about the strategic value of each of them, but seeing how they work together. Um, that's not to say we shouldn't argue strategy. I think it's really important. But um, yeah, that's one of the big things I learned early on in my career that has been really important for me to return to. Right, right. And I think, you know, that dynamic and those roles play out not only from, you know, the theory of social change and movements mm. in general, but I think personally, too, of, like, to build a good team. Mm-hmm. You know, you need people with different strengths and different capacities. And to make big change, it doesn't ever just happen with one person or one, right? you know, one mindset. You have to bring all Absolutely. of others along, and that's a big piece of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we even talk about that in some of the groups I, I organize with now, that the organization itself might be very clear that we are in a rebel role as an organization. But within our organization, we need to value all of the work that makes that possible. So like the folks who are often doing like the, the work of logistics and, you know, that helper role of bringing, bringing the food to the meeting, making sure people are okay, checking in with how folks are actually doing is critically important work. And I think also in a, in, a, in the society we're in, we sometimes forget to celebrate and lift up the importance of that type of relational work that's so critical to the long-term health and viability of our movements. Yes, yes. So just to say, even within like a rebel organization, you need all <laughs> <of> the roles. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of you know, long-term health and longevity mm. of movements and you know, otherwise just change making in general, how do you make space for people to step up and to include Mm. new people? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, this has been a question I've really been, um, thinking a lot about, um, in, um, 2016 after, um, the presidential election, I think, um, there were a lot of, organizations and and folks fighting for change doing some real like taking stock um, and some reckoning with um, the ways our movements were losing and the ways that we needed to step up to the plate um, to really fight for our vision in a more effective way. Um, And I really, really remember at that time, um, I think it was in December 2016, Um, A mentor of mine um, in an organization I was working with um, 
our organization was also going through a ton of leadership transition. Um, there was a director who had just um, stepped down. There was this big shift in my, my, per, my team. And this woman who was a mentor to me said, you know, in these moments of upheaval, those of us who have learned some things, who <laughs> have learned some things in our movements, need to challenge ourselves to take the next step in our own development, in our own leadership, in our own role, um, in order to make space for our movements to keep growing. You know, there are folks who might be newly getting involved or are newly activated and want to step in. And if we keep telling the self-limiting story of, oh, I'm still a beginner, even though I've been at it for five years or 10 years or whatever, um, sometimes that means that we're not taking that next step we have to take in order for our movements to grow, in right. order for someone who is legitimately a beginner to step in and have mentorship and have access to resources that they need to grow. And, um, and I remember when she said that, it was, a really, um, it was a really important moment for me to kind of assess and take responsibility for what I had learned um, and to challenge myself for what was that next step of leadership, that next step of growth that I needed to take in order to better serve our movements. Um, and how was I telling a self-limiting story of not um, really taking um, responsibility for the what I knew and what I had to offer? Um, so I think it's really important for us to constantly be humble in what we need um, to, to learn and to grow, but also to challenge ourselves to be as powerful as we can be and to recognize that the health of our change making or of our social movements is dependent on everyone challenging ourselves and continuing to take that next step. Don't tell yourself the self-limiting story endlessly of, oh, I don't know, oh, not me, because our movements won't be successful if we are stuck in that place. So I want to uh, just amplify something that you said, because mm -hmm. humility is something... That's very important. And I think mm -hmm. more often than not, people lack humility than having <laughs> habits. Sorry, it's just my experience. Uh, but uh, I think using humility mm. or misusing it mm. um, as a way to, as you say, be self-limiting, mm -hmm. I think is something, it's a dynamic that people don't typically articulate as mm. cleanly and crisply as you have. Mm. Um, I think I've seen that before even in spaces that I've been in where people say, oh, you know, we're, we're still learning. We're still figuring this out. And that's fine. And I think it's great to be honest about that. Mm -hmm. um, but using that frame as an excuse to mm -hmm. do or not do something, I think is just not acceptable. Totally. I really appreciate you um, highlighting this and slowing this down. A place where I have had some major growth around like kind of the the danger of of telling this self-limiting story um, is around racial justice and um, there was an article that came out and went kind of you know viral a couple months ago I believe by um, Heather Lane uh, Talley called white women doing white supremacy in nonprofit culture and she talked about this thing um, she talked about how disavowal of power can have this um, really insidious effect 
of allowing harmful systems to continue and how in a society where um, white women, you know, I'm a white woman myself, I'll just say, in a society where I was, you know, taught to question my authority as a, in, you know, or to question my right to speak up about something, it, it, I was sort of taught um, to disavow the power that I had mm. in a way that, like, allows really harmful things to continue. So I actually think, um, and this is, um, I think another quote that's kind of gone viral and has been bouncing around um, is by Maya Angelou, um, um, now that I know better, I do better. And I think there's something about, even, even in our humility of like we're always learning and growing, um, particularly if we're in a position of relative power um, or in a position of relative privilege, we have to be willing to take stock of what we know to be true and advocate for it and push for it. And for me, um, especially in some nonprofits I've been in, like I had this tendency, you know, sort of like, oh, this wasn't my decision. Oh, you know, I was a part of a team, but the person who like brought in this public, this problematic speaker was like, that wasn't me. That wasn't my decision. And I think if we're actually serious about changing our systems, we have to not disavow our power to change them. So what, what do we do instead? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you have to like hold the duality of like, yeah, we're constantly learning, be open to the feedback, but be willing to call a spade a spade or be willing to put your neck out, um, especially my white women of the world, be willing to put your neck out and be like, I don't understand why we're inviting this person or what voice is missing here or I'm not, you know, I'm curious about, you know, like question and challenge and be willing to not just let the pattern continue if you see Mm. the pattern doing harm you know like we have to take responsibility for for these patterns for if we're like serious about shifting you know what voices are celebrated as experts in the room if we're willing to um if we're serious about shifting um policies that harm you know, folks disproportionately according to race or to gender, then we have to be willing in our interpersonal relationships to say, I may not know everything, but I do know that these behaviors have consequences and I'm responsible for the messiness of, of stepping in and questioning and, and challenging. And the other thing too is I think um, I've learned a lot about the power of vulnerability in challenging something. Hmm. So um, I think there's always a space for righteous indignation, for sure. Um, But I think particularly for, uh, yeah, I think particularly for white folks around racial justice, um, I think it's important for us to be vulnerable about our own mistakes when we're calling out our fellow white folks, for example. This is just one example where I think um, pretending that I've always gotten it or pretending that I've always been woke not only is a lie, but also is ineffective in changing, like, my fellow white folks' behavior. Like, coming in and, like, shaming folks or trying to distinguish myself as, like, a white person who gets it isn't 
uh, like we know that's not effective for changing behavior. What's probably more effective is finding a place to be like, look, I've made a similar mistake to what you've done, or like I, or like, but be be sincere, be honest, and 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 connect at a values level. Connect at like, I know you care about a real, you know, insert the value you think this person cares about. Use that as a pivot point because the stakes are too high for my ego as a person challenging someone else to get in the way of changing the actual behavior or the actual system. So I think that's my, like, I've been (laughs) called in by so many of my friends of color um, and so many of my mentors um, around this particular thing of, like, stepping into our power, not disavowing our power, isn't necessarily about, like, as a white person, righteously and angrily calling out my fellow white people, but it's like, no, it's about how am I really about changing behavior behavior, and really about changing systems? I feel like if there were more people in this room, they'd all be snapping. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, I mean, I think you put it beautifully, and as, as a person of color, I also, that's an, an experience that is yours that you're sharing right I Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like I'm on the other side of that but that I hate to overuse certain words but that allyship and that respect I feel of having the bravery to to deep deeply think and consider the impact of things Mm. really you know goes a long way in just um I think feeling like you can be your whole self Mm. like even in friendship I mean Mm. or in in other ways I mean it's interesting like you and I have known each other for a long time but time goes on and sometimes relationships don't get beyond a certain level of depth (laughs) right right but this is one of those cases where like I know you see me Mm. right and I like I think that has to do with a lot of kind of mutual work on both and I I hope that you feel seen by me too right and but that is mutual work that we've done to get to know each other and to Mm -hmm. understand and even just listen Mm -hmm. to each other's experiences Mm -hmm. right and I think you know sometimes it's even as simple as that Mm -hmm. Um, and I think fundamentally what I found in my life is uncomfortable conversations suck (laughs) they do I mean there's just no way around it and I think people just are kind of uncomfortable, you know, broaching certain topics or maybe don't have the tools or the language to even talk about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that we can all collectively, like, mm. work on. Mm-hmm. Totally. Those totally. Two, two pennies in the bucket, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I mean, but you reminded me, I think we've talked about this before, actually, but you reminded me of... Um, one of the biggest lessons I've had in my own social change work, but particularly as a white person trying to work around racial justice, of just remembering that like perfectionism is a symptom of a white supremacist society. Like to believe there's a right way to do it, to believe that um, only bad people are racist or to believe, you know, like, that like if we're serious that it's a systemic problem like I can be 
really grounded and like I like it's gonna be messy for to take this on yeah like I'm gonna mess up in fact I'm gonna mess up and I'm gonna do harm and that's painful and hard I think to recognize um but to be serious about actually changing things I think we have to be real about that and be and I I just want to I know I've told you this story before um but to give credit where credit's due and and to like maybe give an example of how totally I've been called in to do, uh, to do better. Um, one, one circumstance really stands out in my mind as a memory of, of the messiness of like, how do we put ego aside to actually be serious about changing behavior and systems. And it was, I was in a, a group of mostly like, um, mostly like sort of like older uh, white middle class environmental activists, not exclusively. Um, there's lots of young folks or a couple folks of color in the room. And um, this older white man kind of like kept interrupting and kept saying some problematic things. And I basically like kind of attacked him in the space. And I like kind of popped off and like chewed him out. And like in this way that was like, I was super angry it felt really good for me to kind of unload on him. And then afterward, um, a good friend of mine um, uh, who, who is a, a black man came up to me and was sort of like, how are you feeling? And I was, you know, I was still fired up and I was like, I'm angry. And I'm like, I can't believe da 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 da. And I was like still really upset about it. And, and um, my friend said, do you think that, you know, this this older man is going to change his behavior. Hmm. Do you think that, like... Was that the effective? Right. And yeah. do you think that, like, what about the folks of color who are going to have to deal with this person in the future? And I remember... Wow. Right. Wow. I remember yeah. that, like, really feeling like, oh, dang. I... And I, I felt really embarrassed. I felt really kind of embarrassed that, like, I, it felt so good to unload on this person and I was so angry and, and what they were doing was harmful and being angry at, at harm is okay. And like I was in this position where I could have done something more to actually shift behavior, done something more to actually in that group invited the whole group to a self-reflection that could change a group dynamic that could change our patterns. Um, and so to all of this to say to your point about like the humility and uh, we have like I think there's a thing about um, I think I've had to work a lot about around this piece of like being aware of how I f- was caught in this cycle of like, oh, I need to do good to prove I'm good kind of a oh, thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's such a it's such a damaging thing. It's and an it, insidious cycle. It's yeah. an insidious cycle, and it will absolutely keep our movements from winning if we're like if we're in that space of of action. And so, I think that goes to the like self reflective place. You need to be willing to check out what am I actually doing here? Yeah. Am I trying to prove I get it? Am I tr- is this like what are the layers and levels happening, and how is this actually shifting behavior? And so major appreciation to the like all the folks in my life who have like called me in on that like 
yeah, like, where's your ego here? Where is the behavior change happening? And, and like, it's going to be messy. You know, like, if you're caught up in doing it perfect, you're not actually going to be doing the work. Yeah, that's just, <laughs> that's perfect. And, and I almost don't want to take a break, but we should. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's so much more to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm here in the studio with Lena Blunt. Um, she works in the environmental and economic justice space. Um, doing a lot of uh, nonviolent direct action planning and in addition to her event management roles in Philadelphia, we're talking about movements, um, theories of social change, what makes an effective change maker, um, and her reflections on where she started, where she is now, and there's so much more we're going to get into in our second segment. So thank you so much. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Too Much to Text. I'm your host, Bhakti Seigel, and I'm in the studio today with Lena Blunt. Um, she works in the environmental and economic justice space, event management, and direct nonviolent direct action planning in Philadelphia. Uh, we're talking uh, today about um, effective change making and uh, what makes an effective fight. Um, in the first segment, we talked a lot about her reflections on um, theories of social change and the role that we each play in a movement Um, and also her reflections on just how to create a space um, that fosters that change and fosters the growth of a movement um, and enhances its longevity. Um, So I, you know, we recognize that while we're busy doing the work of external transformation, there's often a parallel stream of internal transformation going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, especially in the kind of work you do where you're not, you're not just sitting behind a desk from nine to five, you're out there, you know, talking with people and connecting and um, doing, you know, really kind of externally facing work. Um, so I want to ask you what your internal journey has looked like lately. Mm. Um, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I sort of alluded to this in our first section of reflecting on are we, am I doing what I do? Am I doing good because I'm trying to prove that I'm good? Mm. And I think underneath that, I think, is that fear or that um, self-limiting belief of like, oh, I'm not good. Or um, as a white person, I can only do harm in relationship um, with folks of color or um, I can only do harm um, 
unless I am proving that I'm good kind of a thing. And so I think it's been super, super important um, for me to take on that (laughs) internal work amongst many other pieces, Um, but to build a practice of that self-reflection, of grappling with those self-limiting stories, of grappling with... um, um, the different layers of motivation and different beliefs behind those motivations that actually fundamentally have to be uprooted out of me um, mm-hmm. in order for not only myself and my energy, but my groups, my yeah. work, um, our movements. Um, and I think... Um, there is a shift that's happened for me in terms of thinking about sort of like vocation and thinking about how to quote unquote, you know, truly be effective. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think it's been, there's been a huge learning for me um, in the last uh, couple of years around um, the role of healing my own personal insides and stories um, in order to show up more fully for others, in order to do um, sort of healing work in groups I'm a part of um, so that we can be effective in, in the, the actions that we do, in the ways we are with other people. Um, and honoring the fact that motivations change over time. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And that, um, yeah, as, as we grow and change, our orientation to, to the work will grow and change. Um, and making space for that, refl- making space to reflect on that is super important. Um, but yeah, I've learned a lot um, from a number of folks in my life about the sort of relationship between the inner spiritual life or the inner um, sort of reflective life and the outer action um, and work in community, and I think they're deeply related. Um, I do think that, um, especially when there is um, chaos or there is um, uncertainty in the world around us, we're going to bring our sort of learned patterns into the table. And so if we're not questioning those patterns if we're not um doing the internal work we might just be caught in response mode um constantly in response to what's happening around us um i mean there's there's folks who do a lot of work in trauma um and um i've learned so so much from that that field of work um um and yeah, so I, I just don't think we can separate out like the internal and the external if we're doing the work um, for for the long term, um, and we and we care about um, the sustainability of ourselves in the work. Yeah. And I think the other thing is to remember that our movements aren't just ourselves. You know, like like uh, we should be building organizations and should be building movements that. Um, that aren't about any one person. So how are you um, make, nourishing and resting and, and coming back to the work and um, yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like there's a parallel set of games, right? We're playing the long game, we're playing the short game, and then mm. we're also trying to zoom out and have a bird's eye view to, to get some perspective. And I think totally sometimes that can, when you're fighting a fight or trying to get to an outcome, mm-hmm. um, those things can get jumbled, and that's just part of it. Right. Um, so what tools do you use just personally? Like, what mm. do you do to help with that process of reflection and kind of resetting or level setting? Oh, man. Um, I definitely do journal. It's funny. I'm, like, feeling this impulse to just, like, rattle off all the names of the people that I've learned from, and I'm feeling self-conscious and that I haven't checked with people (laughs) if I can do that. Um, But just to say that, like, um, I've learned from the pattern of so many folks in the movement, um, and I I think, yeah, I will shout out, yeah, folks at Training for Change in Philadelphia, I think, do really transformational work around um, helping facilitators and change makers like take on their self-limiting beliefs and like seeing how that lives in the group. And they have lots of tools they offer around that. Um, there are specific people. Um, I, I learn a lot from artists. Hmm. Um, a, a friend of mine um, has this project in Philadelphia, the Culture Work Studios, that's um, that doing a lot of work around art and activism. Um, Matthew Armstead, um, and uh, so many, so so many people um, around me who have taught me to create things and to, you know, remember our capacity to create things. Um, yeah, yeah, I want to shout out, like, so many people. I'm, like, really feeling self-conscious. Well, so here's actually something I've been wanting to share with our listeners, which is, you know, every week we have guests that come on and they, you know, cite a bunch of sources and things like that. So um, what I'm going to make an effort to do as a host is, um, have a post probably on our Instagram, mm. uh, which is too much to text underscore the show um, with maybe some links or a list of the things that people have raised in the episode. So oh, awesome. um, maybe we can follow up on that. Perfect. That and be I'll be better. able yeah. to double check with some people sure, and drop, sure. drop the appropriate citations and shout outs to all the folks who I've learned from. Um, yeah. Yeah. That'd be yeah. important to me. Yeah. But, I, but I think we all have those things that we draw inspiration from. Right. And, yeah. and I think, yeah. For each of us, it's different. Um, what mm-hmm. we need at a certain time in our in a life, um, no piece of advice is um, going to be universally acceptable, you know, mm-hmm. to people, and mm-hmm. depending mm-hmm. on what you're going through. So, um, yeah, I think one of the things that I've, I think you and I share in common, and is the journaling. But mm-hmm. I think you've been largely like by miles much more consistent at it than I have Um, (laughs) I think we always think that of other people I definitely am inconsistent in my own way yeah I but I think it's recently in the last year and a half something that I've been doing Mm. more and more but Mm -hmm. and you know you can feel a difference when you take a minute to think about you know what you have done what you want to do I think Mm -hmm. it kind of like keeps your hands on the steering wheel of life a little bit better Mm -hmm. um yeah, it keeps the intentionality back sure. in life when there's all these competing priorities and stuff. So Right. And I mean, I think you and I have both talked about like the feeling that, you know, when life is living us versus when we're yes. living life. Yes. And I do think like the journaling is something that helps me. I think um yeah, and like a really big one like I, I know I've just said was just the like staying grounded in our capacity to create things. Like when buffeted by like the news and all of this like play by play of things that are overwhelming and serious and have high stakes, um, remembering that 
I have the capacity to make things yes actually helps me return to the social it's actually change very work. powerful I think that's stepping into power in your own way mm-hmm, right reminding mm-hmm. yourself that you're not right none of us are helpless in this situation right you know even if it's writing a song or like writing a poem it's like making something reminds us we can also make a whole new world (laughs) (laughs) no one wants to hear me sing (laughs) I do this is only happening because Lena's in the studio otherwise (laughs) (laughs) I'm too comfortable Mm, I love it um gosh I can't believe we're almost at our time Mm. uh you know, this is something that I, I felt very strongly about having you on the show because you have put in the effort and, and the muscle um, and the collarbone in doing the hard work <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that is required of making change. And um, you've not done it alone. You've done it with mm-hmm. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You have the grace to, um, to honor those that have helped you and um in turn kind of take that grace for it to help others um you you know have talked a lot today about the humility of being bold enough to be accountable mm-hmm. um for your power and also as a way honestly to seize a, seize power in a situation and actually get to a positive outcome um we've talked a lot about self-limiting uh, stories mm-hmm. mindsets frames we all do have those, um, and I think sometimes the cure for that is reflection and, and, and thinking beneath the layers of what motivates us. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that phrase you use, layers of motivation, because I think that that is so true. Um, yeah, it's just, to, to me, really resonated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, being humble enough to admit that we all need each other when we're trying to build the mm-hmm. world that we want, and the world we want is complicated and full of a lot of perspectives mm-hmm. and that is its beauty, but also its challenge. Yeah. Um, so Lena, I just want to thank you for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Um, for those of you listening, um, if you know someone who would find inspiration in Lena's story, pass it along and let us know what you think in the comments. Um, we are going to post that list of, you know, work cited, if you will, um, for those who might be interested in reading up and checking out some of the things Lena referenced in, in this episode. Um, until next time, I'm Bhakti Segal, and you've been listening to Too Much to Text.